backroom politics. Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live uh, on Blog Talk Radio with a split screen uh, after a long summer, a little summer vacation. I'm broadcasting from the West Coast here in Los Angeles. Joining me as they do on Tuesdays, usually. Uh, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you? Doing well. Happy belated Good. 4th of July. Happy belated 4th of July to you, too. And also on the phone from us after a, uh, a very uh, scenic tour of Alaska, he is joining us by phone, as always. He is the man that has served last count four presidents, former Undersecretary uh, of Commerce, and longtime Washington insider, he is Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hey, Justin, Ken. Yeah, it's good to be back, guys. And uh, we have got a lot to talk about. Just when you think things couldn't get strange, they get stranger by the moment. Uh, We are looking at breaking news that has happened over the past uh, basically 24 hours. Here's what's happened. New York Times reported that Donald Trump Jr. had taken a meeting with a Russian – by the way, guys, we are listening to echoes in the background. Thanks. Anyway, back to the story. Donald Trump Jr. apparently had taken a meeting with a Russian attorney who – it has not been confirmed whether she had direct ties or was directly involved with the Putin government. However, it was portrayed in emails that she was a Russian government lawyer. Uh, in this meeting was Jared Kushner, Donald Jr.'s uh, brother-in-law, and, and then at the time, Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. The introduction to Donald Trump Jr. is what has gotten a lot of attention. When the news broke, I guess, last night, Alan Moore, uh, that this meeting had occurred, we saw Trump officials doing a lot of pushback. And then surprisingly today, Alan, Donald Trump Jr. releases like there's a smoking gun there. Well, so the, the 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 timeline is is I think just slightly different, and I only mention that because um, when the Times first heard about this meeting, uh, what Donald Trump Jr. initially said was, "Hey, this was a meeting with uh, uh, a Russian lawyer who wanted to talk about Russian adoption and the Magnitsky Act." Uh, which is a U.S. law that wanted to hold the Russian government to account for the death of a journalist, um, and we slapped some sanctions on them. This was several years ago, I think 2012, and the Russian response was, 
fine, we're going to shut down all further adoption of Russian children by American families. And there were literally hundreds of kids in the pipeline. It was a grotesque uh, reaction that, that simply harmed a lot of little kids. Uh, not to mention uh, their families, and then there's been a there, there's been a freeze on any further uh, uh, adoptions. And the Russians are notorious for no, not adopting their own but children anyway. inside their society, but putting them in orphanages. So, but we're going so down that, that was the initial explanation. Yeah, he so so he throws that out there, but then, <laughs> then discovers that the Times actually has more information. Uh, about uh, this meeting, that that was not the original purpose. The original purpose, in fact, and it's been documented now in emails that Donald Trump uh, Jr. did release. Um, but but uh, even by the end of the day, uh, Sunday and, and yesterday, he was he was acknowledging. Well, yeah, the 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 original purpose of of that meeting was not to talk about orphans, but in fact was supposedly to get some information about the campaign that might that might implicate Hillary Clinton in different ways for somehow being funded by or helped by the Russian government. Right. Hey, um, Alan, today, Alan, I got, yeah. Alan, I got to real quick because you introduce a person uh, who is joining us also by the phone. He is the number one best-selling author on the New York Times best-selling list. He is the author of Shattered. <laughs> And columnist for Roll Call, he is our good friend, Jonathan Allen. John Allen, welcome back to Backroom Politics. It's my pleasure to be here, Justin. Ah, so good to have you. Anyway, I didn't mean to John, good to have you, buddy. Good to hear your voice. (laughs) Good to hear your voice, Alan. Hey, let's get back to to basics here. Alan Moore. Yeah, I was just, I was simply, yeah, I was just going, just, just sort of getting the narrative. The unfortunately for the Trump people and now the Trump family, the ever-changing narrative, um, which now makes it very clear that Donald Trump Jr. at a minimum knew that the purpose of this meeting um, was to get information that might be not only relevant to the campaign harmful to the Clinton campaign, and it included uh, the, 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 the idea that the Russians were interested in helping Donald Trump. All of that has emerged in the 48 hours since we first uh, started hearing about uh, the, the, the details of this meeting, which raises a whole host of issues of interest to uh, members of Congress, the press, but most importantly to Robert Mueller and his investigation of the role of right. the Russians in the campaign. It's just well, me... another example of this campaign's uh, or uh, of the of the 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 the, the, the White House uh, inability to get all information out into the public eye. And deal right. with it all at once. It's let the drip, to, drip, drip, to, and yeah. Let me go to John Allen real quick. John Allen, this this obviously is a smoking gun of some sort. It it may not necessarily be collusion issue, but these are these are emails that were put out by Donald Trump Jr. himself that shows at least he was aware he was meeting with somebody that represented themselves to be with the Russian government. 
Is that what is scaring the White House right now? I mean, I, it depends on who you are in the White House. Uh, it may be that there are some people in the White House who aren't big fans of Donald Trump Jr. Um, and, and would like to see him uh, less influential. It's, it's hard to tell what's going on. I will say this. Uh, number one, um, on, on the issue of adoption, the first thing that, that Donald Trump Jr. said he was talking about, I thought it was astounding that he uh, acknowledged that there was a discussion of adoption because the only reason you would talk to the Russians about adoption is their desire uh, to see U.S. sanctions on Russia lifted. Uh, right now they have a ban on U.S. adoptions, as, as Alan was talking about, the Magnitsky Act, uh, in retaliation for the Magnitsky Act. And uh, the only reason the only reason adoption would come up is to is is basically for their desire for the loosening of sanctions. So you you have a public policy uh, that that's being discussed, like, sort of freely acknowledged by by Donald Trump Jr. More astonishing than that, um, and and frankly, it, it doesn't make sense to me when people keep keep hearing this on television. Uh, you know, was there collusion? They're trying to figure out if there was collusion. You have to invent a pretty narrow definition of collusion at this point to say that there uh, might not have been collusion. I mean, what we're looking at here is, in fact, coordination between uh, at least Donald Trump Jr. and somebody who claims to have been representing the, the Russian government or was presented as representing the Russian government in an effort to, to share information that might have been damaging to Hillary Clinton. I mean, at the very least, they, that's what Donald Trump Jr. thought he was getting into. So, uh, I mean, you've got a couple of things here in terms of smoking guns that are, uh, you know, in any other situation would be in and of themselves pretty alarming. And now you've got a White House that looks like it's ready to throw, and, and I would argue a Republican Party, uh, ready to throw Donald Trump Jr. under the bus until, wait, wait a second, Donald Trump Sr. comes out and tweets about what a high-quality individual his son is, um, you know, I'm not sure Donald Trump Sr. Is, is the character witness that Donald Trump Jr. would want right now, but uh, but I mean, the distancing between the Trumps is really something fascinating to watch too. Admiral Ken, it, it, when we start looking at this thing from the whole, we're hearing some new words being batted around. One of those words is we've heard collusion, but one of the words we're hearing now is treasonous. Does this even match up to possible treason by any stretch of the imagination? Not even, not even close. Not even close. I, the other words that have been batted around today have been violations of the Campaign Finance Act, in uh, in that uh, they were prepared to receive something of value um, that um, they would have had to have, uh, account for and did not do so. Even more importantly. Uh, Jerry Kushner and his security um, um, paperwork to, to obtain his security clearance uh, has already had to go back and modify his statement once. Now he's got to do it yet again. Uh, had a security clearance since I was 23 years old, have never had to modify it in any way, shape, or form. And the reason is that you just tell the truth when they ask you about it. Um, to something Alan said with regard to the White House having yet another uh, thing that they have to explain, I think it goes much deeper than that. Uh, this is a White House that seems to have a real aversion to the truth. It, you know, what it brings to mind for me is, is the image of trying to bathe a cat. Uh, if you're trying to put these guys into, into some clean bath water to where they're going to get washed clean, they're doing everything, including scratch and living daylight for anybody holding it to keep them getting uh, put in the water. It's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, and I know 
that there's a good number of listeners and some friends of mine who are also fellow Republicans that are saying, yeah, yeah, this is just the media um, jumping on this, and this is all fake news. Folks, this is not fake news. This is, this is what happens when the media does its job, and they report what's going on. And if, you have, if you've got issues uh, with, with what they're doing, then perhaps, perhaps you shouldn't um, be putting yourself in questionable situations. No one has spoken about Paul Manafort uh, and his knowledge of, of campaigns. Now, uh, Donald Trump Jr. may be a little naive with regard to um, how campaigns work, uh, and, uh, and, and maybe, maybe um, Jerry Kushner might be a little bit naive. But Paul Manafort is not a naive person in these waters, and if he went to that meeting, and it appears that he did, with that not knowing that he was going to get something like that, then he, you know, he, he broke that law. John Allen, well, here's he, the, he, 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 well, let me go to let me go to John Allen real quick because John Allen, one of the things that I think is also surprising about all this is the question of the emails that Donald Trump released today. Does it almost confirm that there are possibly previous? Russian interactions that we are not aware of in the media. The example I give is during the whole email chain, at no point does Donald Jr. go, what, a Russian government official? What? I'm surprised. I'm shocked. Is, is this a telltale sign that we're missing? Yeah, I mean, it certainly raises the question of, of what these relationships have been, uh, you know, not just now, but over time. The uh, you know there are there are instances of other Trumps uh, talking about the relationship between the Trump family and, and Russians, and um, you know it, clearly this is not the first time there was any contact between anyone claiming to be uh, you know Russian or a Russian official and and people in the Trump family. Uh, not that that's necessarily bad. Obviously, there's a difference between their private business dealings. And uh, when the, you know President Trump or candidate Trump is charged with uh, executing policy in the best interest of the United States, uh, and, and particularly if that comes in conflict with the best interests of the Trump family's financial uh, dealings in Russia or, or Russian dealings here, so it, yeah, I mean the short answer to your question is yes. There's probably more out there, uh, but we haven't seen it yet. Alan Moore, I'm sorry, I stepped on you before. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, that's, yeah, that's quite all right. A couple of things. One, as far as I can tell, um, uh, it's, not, it's not clear that Donald Jr. knew that this lawyer was uh, part of the Russian government. In fact, she's a private lawyer who does work uh, on behalf of, of senior uh Russian officials, but she herself is not, so far as I know, an employee. He did also say that it's hard to believe any of these people anymore So, because this, the narrative constantly changes, but he did say that he didn't know who the person was. Now, the problem with that is he included Paul Manafort, the campaign chair. I think, I think Ken made an excellent point about Manafort Look, you're a vol- you've never done politics. You're the son of a candidate. You're trying to run a business. You're Donald Jr. You're Jared Kushner, who's got a different business. They're pulled into this stuff. What they don't know everything about the law, and they're very interested in opposition research. 
Um, I'm not defend. I, what what you do though to protect them is you have a system where you got some lawyers around to say we need to vet meetings, we need to vet conversations. Paul Manafort is a different animal altogether. He was the chairman. He's an operative who's been dealing in politics all of his life. He is a common denominator in most of this Russian stuff. And this meeting is one more example. He's the guy whose fingerprints are all over the change to the Russian plat to the to, sorry the Russian the Republican platform on providing uh, support to uh, Ukrainian opposition. There's just connection after connection after connection um, with Manafort, who deserves his day in court. He's spending an enormous amount of money on lawyers these days. Um, and and he's the one whose presence in that meeting really raises the big questions uh, for me. Um, and so, what the so heck John, was he doing there, and what did he think was being discussed, and who did he think uh, was was coming to this meeting, and what were they going to hear? Right. So, John Allen, you know, this, this is not a, a a technique that the Russian government has not used before, having a so-called independent party go and represent their interests. But outside of that here – when, it, when we start connecting the dots based off of Don Jr.'s emails as put out this morning, when we start connecting the dots here, is, is it logical to say that this almost gives the smoking gun approach to, yes, this is, this is in fact meddling by the Russians and the collusion not absolutely definitive does no intent? Yeah, I mean, I think the the big change is you go from a place of it was pretty obvious that the Russians wanted Trump to win and that Trump was encouraging them to do things to help him win. He said, said things publicly on the stump. If you have Hillary Clinton's emails, please, please give them to us, you know. Um, so it goes from that that place to one where you actually have an instance of at least some attempted coordination. Um, you know, you've seen some of these things with uh, Roger Stone and Guccifer, the the uh, the Romanian hacker profile. I mean, th- there's been a lot of um, more than smoke. I would say there's been a lot of big breadcrumbs, uh, and this one is the largest one leading toward a, a conclusion that there was at least some level of effort to coordinate. Now, you would ask some of the others about treason. The real, the biggest reason that there's no treason here, uh, that so far as I can tell, is that we're not at war with Russia, and typically, in order to commit an act of treason, it has to be with a, against a country that we're at war at. It has to be an enemy of the United States. Russia is a lot of things. They are not uh, defined as an enemy of the United States as such. Um, you know, adversary, sometimes friend, frenemy, you know, whatever you want to call them, uh, that, that predicate would have to be there for, for somebody to commit treason. However, uh, you know, if you were in receipt of uh, stolen emails, you know, Russian Russian stolen emails from uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign, and you were on the Trump end of that, and you received them, uh, you, you might be in danger of some sort of uh, allegations of espionage. I find it ironic. I find it ironic that that uh, of, of all people um, to you know be caught up in something like this. The uh, the tool of that implication is an email. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's awesome. That is awesome. I try. Hey, um, good job. Good job. Alan Moore, there's a bigger problem here now is does this pretty much take away the credibility of the White House as far as dissonating itself from the Russian election? No, they didn't have any credibility going into this. So uh, this, you know, which is not to say that this isn't bigger than 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 most of what we've seen so far. They they have uh, they have issued denial after denial, uh, followed by uh, restatement, 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 clarification, clarification, clarification. Um, this one, remarkably, uh, the president himself is, has, uh, has been uh, uncharacteristically quiet about um, in the last couple of days, as he must watch with horror as the Saturday narrative be- changes to a Sunday, to a Monday, and today, um, and, uh, and watching his uh, son have to lawyer up, um, knowing that there's a whole host of questions about what why Manafort was there, what he thought was going to happen. Um, I, my understanding about the meeting itself was that it actually came from a, a, a new filing from Kushner that when he finally had to claim, I could be wrong here, but I've heard conflicting reports um, that when he discovered he had some gaps in his earlier reports for the purposes of security clearance and so on, um, that, that, uh, he included this meeting, and that's what first alerted people. The, the thing about all of this is, though, what it means, whether it's, whether it's evidence of, uh, of campaign finance, i.e. collusion uh, uh, prohibitions, um, that's, <laughs> that's for Bob Mueller and his team to, to ferret out. But, man, they, those guys are living in a target-rich environment. Um, this is one more big one that popped out, and they had plenty to look at even before this. John Allen, we're, we've heard for the first time late this afternoon uh, from the White House where uh, Ms. Huckabee Sanders, the deputy press secretary, put out basically a, a, a four-word response to this situation. Uh, the president basically saying, hey, my son's a stand-up guy, and that's all we've heard. Are we going to see continued pushback from the White House, do you think, on this? Uh, I doubt that you're going to see anything specific in pushback from the White House. Um, you know, I think that the uh, folks who speak for President Trump are, are getting tired of saying things that uh, are immediately reversed You know, within 24 hours. They're tired of looking like liars, so you see more blanket statements about, uh, you know, denying everything rather than specifics, and you see, you know, the president saying his son's a good guy, which has nothing to do with the question of whether uh, he met with, with with this person. And of course, he did have the meeting. He acknowledges that. Um, I think I think this is bad news for for President Trump and the, and the Trump administration, uh, and the. You know, one of the questions is going to be how badly do do people start throwing each other under the bus? How fast do they do it with investigators? And and at what point does the um, you know does the major obstacle to to congressional proceedings against the president uh, Paul Ryan uh, decide that it's in his best interest, the best interest of the party, and the best interest of the country uh, to to actually move on something? 
I don't think we're close to that yet, but, but we're closer today than we were two or three days ago. Alan Moore, are we going to start seeing more and more Republicans back away from the president? Well, we, we are we are already seeing it. We we saw it um, uh, last week when the president, for whatever reason, decided he should trash um, uh, Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough, particularly Mika, and that caused uh, some pretty aggressive. Uh, pushback from men and women in the Congress who basically said, you have to stop this, um, some, including some people who have not spoken out before, just because it, it crossed certain lines of, of social behavior, of uh, gender prejudice, and so on. And then he goes, he's in Europe, and this, that, that message kind of stepped on his, uh, his Europe narrative. He got very, very mixed reviews. Um, some positive stuff, some negative stuff. He seemed to isolate himself from the other G19 on, on climate change. Uh, the meeting with, with Putin ended up being uh, subject of a, quite a bit of criticism, particularly by some other Republicans who said, my God, um, it's as though even if he did say this hacking thing, you've got to cut it out. Um, the, 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 the message that came out of that was we're going to work together going forward. He was subject to great ridicule for the notion that that he seemed to initially embrace the idea of doing a cybersecurity fighting uh, uh, combination with uh, with the Russians. Uh, uh, even his secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, came out and said, yeah, oh, this is a great thing. And then everybody said, this is insane. You can't you can't get in bed with on, on this subject with the master of uh, of hacking and then the president had to suddenly pivot and say well of course we would never do that but we do have some things we can work on together i mean he has had a very very challenging time in in uh, in the last couple of weeks um, well, but suddenly as we've seen again and again and again something new pops up and pushes everything else out of the field of view and uh, and this is one of legal jeopardy for uh, for his own family and for for the credibility of himself right. and his spokespeople right. in right. new ways. Let me go to Admiral Ken. When 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 all things said and done in this, are we getting close to a point break where uh, there's going to be enough evidence? We'll see either Mueller move on charges or the pressure is going to build for the president to take action, including resignation. Um, the real answer to the question, I, I think for me is, I don't know, but I, I will preface that with saying that this is not a, 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 a uh, an end state that we're going to know about for, I think, quite some time to come. I'm thinking months rather than days or weeks. Um, I think working in the president's favor, uh, is his base. They are as energized today as they ever have been because they think that the press, with the exception of Fox News, is out to get him. And they think that, um, uh, I mean, otherwise rational human beings, uh, and Justin, we know some of them quite well, uh, rational right. human, otherwise rational human beings you know, are convinced that the press is out to get this guy and that they're not telling the whole story, that they are going after the stuff that uh, that sells newspapers. 
Um, and I think as long as the base is there for him, and as long as the base are, are still shouting Trump, 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 and make America great again, I think that it's going to be hard pressed for any of the uh, the folks in, in Congress, uh, the, the Senate, to start parting ways demonstrably from him. Um, John McCain, John McCain, lion of the Senate, uh, has been consistent as the day is long in this. But uh, John McCain's been there a long time, and uh, and um, and uh, I don't think the rest of them have got the same kind of backing that he does, and consequently don't have the the the, the, the foundation to basically stand up and and say morally courageous things. But I think I think we're going to get to one of those, but I don't think we're going to get there next week. John Allen, I got two questions for you. Number one, uh, are you hearing rumblings of the resignation word up on the Hill? And number two, is the base for Donald Trump strong enough to keep the Trump administration alive or out of harm's way? Uh, No, and so far so good. Um, I'm not (laughs) hearing people talk about resignation on the Hill. Um, And, uh, you know, so far so good for Trump's base, keeping him in place, Republicans – uh, on the Hill don't want to uh, get sideways with his base because those folks show up and vote. Um, and until that base erodes further, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I think you'll see Republicans, you know, do their best to not, you know, marry themselves to the president, but also uh, be reluctant to, to really try to damage him. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a point at which the preponderance of evidence here could get so bad that, uh, that you might even see them, you know, you can kind of see a, a dam breaking at some point. And, and frankly, his son and campaign manager and son-in-law meeting with uh, someone purporting to have uh, bad stuff on Hillary Clinton is, is that's a pretty serious uh, knock against that dam that, that could, you know, eventually open it up. Certainly you're going to hear a lot more about investigation into this. I don't, I don't expect to see a whole lot of like, you know, acts of tremendous courage by members of Congress. That's not why they got to Congress. It's not how they stay there. Um, but I but I do think that there is at some point a breaking point for them where they, they don't think that, uh, you know, if things get bad enough where they don't think that they can sustain standing by him. Alan Moore, is, is I, Trump's he, base strong he, enough to survive? Well, <laughs> the, the, base, the base has shown an incredible level of uh, of resilience and patience in, in hanging in with him after months of disastrous uh, uh, news, behavior, and so on. Um, I, I, Donald Trump does not strike me as the kind of personality uh, who, who would, would ever, uh, at least under the current circumstances, um, resign. The question would be if, if a, a, a compelling case uh, for impeachment were to emerge. I don't see that at this time. However, here's the thing. Paul Manafort, as we've, we've said, who had all of his own uh, prior uh, ties uh, uh, with, with Russia and with Putin-backed uh, leaders in the Ukraine and elsewhere, uh, it, it was obviously very close to, uh, to, to the president during the, the, the campaign. And even after he resigned... Um, there's good reason to believe that he was in regular touch with senior people in the campaign. And then we have uh, uh, 
Mr. Flynn, uh, the, the, the national security advisor, for about 20 minutes in the beginning of this administration. Now, those two guys had the president's ear. They had his confidence. And what we really, really, really would like to know is the nature of conversations that either of those two guys had with the president, whether it was a meeting with a lawyer who had possible information that would be embarrassing uh, to Hillary Clinton, um, or whether the president knew uh, of of Flynn's uh, conversations with the content of the conversations with the Russian ambassador urging the Russians to hold off in responding to the sanctions that that were imposed uh, on Russia after the uh, their intervention in the campaign um, uh, became known. Those are the things that touch the president directly. He has said many things to the American people about what was true and what isn't true. And although his standard of truthfulness is a, is something new in American politics, there are things, particularly when it comes to the Russians, the role of the Russians, the connections to the Russians, um, financial connections to the Russians that touch the president himself his right. words, his finances. Um, Mueller is empowered to look pretty broadly at this stuff, and increasingly right. it seems likely that Mueller will be looking at uh, the pre- more deeply into the president's finances, including his right. tax returns. Um, so we're months and months away, as, as I think John said, before we need to know a lot more before right. we know that, the president himself is in jeopardy, even if he has to separate himself um, from uh, other from others close to him. Perhaps, perhaps even his son-in-law. Um, right. I don't. I'm not predicting predicting that, but 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 Mr. Kushner has been in, involved in a few too many of these things. Donald Trump Jr. isn't even part of the campaign. And, right. Well, anyway, and he's, he's running the company. Well, let, let's let's uh, take a break here for a second. Uh, we're going to take about two minutes, uh, go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the president and the G20 meetings that he just recently came back from. We want to talk about the winners and losers, some of the big high points, the low points, and how much did the president push Vladimir Putin on the issue of collusion or cyber hacking. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. Thank you. 
is backroom politics. And this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on a split-screen edition on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Justin Russell, broadcasting live from Los Angeles, back in the National Capital Region. We have Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore, and number one best-selling New York Times author, Jonathan Allen. Hey, we're going to kind of tie in a little bit from our first subject as we continue to monitor the situation about the Donald Trump Jr. emails that were put out today and the uh, Russian meeting. But uh, we also want to talk about the president's recent trip to the G20. Uh, for those who don't know, the, the group of 20 met in Germany last week uh, amongst other anarchists and water cannons and smoke deterrents. But the leaders of the 20 economies in the world got together and managed to at least come together with the exception of one group, that being the U.S. and Donald Trump. Many uh, are calling it the G19 summit and President Trump. Uh, It was a good meeting on some fronts, a strange meeting on many others. Uh, Let's just go down the first quick shots here. Uh, John Allen, starting with you. Uh, who were the big winners and who were the big losers out of the G20 meeting this week? Well, I think uh, I guess my my feeling is that Germany is is a big winner um, in that Angela Merkel has basically become the leader of the Western world, uh, and that seems to continue this week. Uh, obviously, uh, Germany playing a, a more significant role in this uh, particular meeting than than most of them, um, uh, the, the host role. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think China and Russia are, are doing well uh, internationally right now, and uh, the United States seems to be receding. I mean, the, you know, the reports out of uh, these meetings are that the other foreign leaders are looking for ways to work around uh, Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, I mean, that means missed opportunities for the United States, to my way of thinking. Um, I know he, he promised to pull back from the world and uh, there are certainly some ways in which he's done that that I think uh, the American voters would be happy with. But I think the idea that America is going to be less of a leader in the world, less of a country that others look to for, for both commercial and security uh, purposes is, uh, you know, is ultimately damaging to us. And so, uh, you know, I, I would never call the United States a loser, but I think that uh, perhaps we've ceded some ground. Admiral Ken, I go to you. Who are the big winners? Who are the big losers in the G20 summit? I got to go with John. Um, I'm, I, I guess I was really, really uh, awestruck by the fact that, um, that almost physically people pulled away from the president of the United States. Um, the, the, I say the other, the other winner probably is, is, uh, is Russia. Um, you know, they, 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 no one has called them to account for the things that they've done, not only to us, but to uh, other, other countries in their, in their, in their region. And, um, and it doesn't appear that, uh, that they're, they're going to, uh, in, in the near future. Uh, I'd say we, we, we lost a, a good amount of footing and reputation and stature. If you haven't seen, um, the report from, um, Chris Ullman of, uh, an Australian, uh, news, news, uh, uh, paper, or I'm sorry, TV station, in his synopsis of uh, of the United States at uh, the G20, uh, it's uh, that's that's internet worth uh, worth surfing there. I gotta tell you, it's a pretty good uh, pretty good 
synopsis of, of, uh, of how we did. Alan Moore, winners and losers, G20? Um, yeah, as I had mentioned in the previous segment, uh, it, it was all in all not, not a good week for, for the president uh, or, or for the U.S., None of this, none of this is necessarily uh, permanent. Although that's that that is small consolation, um, given the, the the path that we seem to be on. I think that that in addition to the the uh, the, the climate issue, um, where we've been isolated, but that's not new. That 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 was that was clear uh, uh, some weeks back. And not and not unexpected. Um, the the trade issue continues to be uh, uh, an area where the president has, uh, throughout the campaign and after, uh, engaged in in a lot of exaggerated, bombastic, and and damaging uh, uh, messaging, where he uh, basically talks not just about the the Chinese, where there are some uh, a really challenging uh, uh, unfair trade practices um, that we get some benefit from, let it be said, um, in terms of uh, significantly lower prices um, for products that it doesn't make sense for us to manufacture anyway. But but he's also picked fights with Mexico and, and Canada exagger- exaggerated the negative impacts of what he considers to be the negative impacts of the North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, and and it, it falsely elevates expectations on the part of uh, people in the U.S. and Trump country and elsewhere who think, oh, the, we, we, the, the, the foreigners have taken advantage of us. This president's going to fix all that. And there aren't any easy fixes. Um, trade works in both directions. We're a huge beneficiary of, uh, of global trade, and we're not being uh, grotesquely taken advantage of. Renegotiating around the edges, fine. Sanctioning um, bad actors uh, elsewhere, fine. He's already the president's already realized that that we need China in a big way to deal with North Korea, and if it means we don't beat them up quite as much on some trade issues that are that are troublesome in the larger scope of things, uh, uh, we can benefit. So. I think we we lost a little bit of ground on trade, although he he the president has backed off now this notion of of uh, of widespread international tariffs because he's been persuaded by so many voices, even in his own circle, that it would be counterproductive and harmful. I do think that it, at the G20, where one might have hoped that there would be a, uni- a focus on a unified statement regarding North Korea. Um, uh, that was headed off apparently by the Russians and the Chinese and the other the other uh, 18, um, 17 didn't want to take that on as much as they might have, and I think that that again speaks to our lack of focus and our right. and and the harm that that we've done to our credibility in other areas that John, we couldn't have put up a uni- unified front on that issue. Right, John Allen, when. When we go back and look at the individual pieces of drama that happened in Germany last week during the G20, we obviously bring up the meeting between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Uh, The meeting was originally supposed to go about 30 minutes, ended up going two hours and change, even to the point that uh, 
White House staff sent in the First Lady to go poke her head in to make sure that they were closing up, which apparently also didn't work. The question coming out of the meeting, and it was an odd meeting with only two interpreters, the President and Vladimir Putin and Secretary Tillerson and the Russian Foreign Secretary, uh, with those six people in there, there's not been a lot that's leaked out, but the one thing we have heard is that the White House and President Trump has accepted the word of Vladimir Putin at, that there was no involvement in the Russian government in hacking the election. Did he not push the opportunity strong enough? Is Trump being beholden to Vladimir Putin for whatever reason, or is this – are we trying to make up something that maybe isn't there, John Allen? I mean, it's impossible to say without being in the room. I think it's kind of amazing that we're at a point where when the, the president of the United States and the Russian president disagree on what happened in a room uh, that you know the, the benefit of the doubt might actually run to the Russian president as to what happened – um, I, you know, you don't get the sense that Donald Trump is really up in arms over the idea that uh, the Russians may have interfered. I mean, you know, the the assertion by Putin that he that he basically accepted the answer that they didn't interfere in the election. Um, you know, that's that's consistent with what we've heard from President Trump publicly since before the election, you know, through the election uh, for the last several months. So, so for him to suddenly, you know, be the be the tough guy in the room and pushing Putin on this issue seems. Uh, really at odds with what we've what we've seen previously. Um, it sounds to me like he pressed Putin on it so that he could say that he pressed Putin on it and then let it go. Admiral Kent, did he in fact press Putin strong enough, or is Trump afraid that if he pushes him too much, he might just release everything and spill the beans on him? So I'm reminded of of, of, of me at, at, at 21 at the Naval Academy. Uh, there was this really, really cute girl from Hood College that I, that I really kind of wanted to ask out to date. And I really wanted to go out with this girl. And I, I walked over and I said, hey, you know, want to get some ice cream? She said, no. That was it. I, I, and some, some people say that I pressed her you know, to go out with me. That's it. You did. Wait a minute. You just you just compared the meeting between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin to you asking a girl out for ice cream your plebe year at the academy. Yep, sure did. I didn't think that would even be possible, Ken. And yet you made you made flag officer rank. That's amazing. Yeah, but you know what? That, that was the, that was an effective mental model, and it worked. I'm going to let that sink in for a second, and I'm going to go back to John so, Allen for a second. Well, wait, John, wait, 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 wait. I need to – yeah, let me have a chance on this particular question, okay? Um, okay. So, so not, not, the, not, not failures as a freshman in college, but, but um, the, the meeting. First of all, there is no f- official readout of that meeting – um, and I think any of us who are convinced we know what happened in there are, are, are operating on dangerous ground. Uh, secondly, I, I push back on the notion that the president has not accepted the fact that the Russians tried to intervene. I think he has now accepted that. I think his statements, even in Europe when he was asked uh, about it, where he, 
he's basically trying to have his cake and eat it too, saying, yeah, they did, but we think others might have too. We we'll, we don't know. We'll never know. So what what I think he's been urged to do and what he was trying to do in his own Trumpian way is say, yeah, okay, fine. They tried to intervene, but they didn't make any difference. And we think others, maybe some others did too. What I, where I think John, John Allen is dead correct, though, dead on correct, is that, that um, the president simply doesn't feel as strongly about this as just about every other American politician does that, including a lot of Republicans, we cannot allow Russians or anybody else to muck around in our elections. That is sacred territory. And anybody who tries to fool around in that, in that world needs to be jumped on, pounded on, and punished. I think with the, the president, who now has the benefit of, of uh, the, the, the findings of all of his intelligence uh, agencies, it has got to accept the, the the overwhelming evidence that presumably exists that, yeah, the Russians tried to do this and this and this and this and this and this. We don't know. There may have been others, too, but it's clear the Russians were doing this. And the president says, OK, but but it didn't affect the outcome of the election. Right. So let's move on. We need to work with Russia on Syria, on uh, on terrorism, uh, uh, and, and a host of other issues. I just think for this president, it's not as big a deal as it is for just about everyone else in American hey, political life. Hey, Alan, hey, Alan I got to jump in here real quick because I do want to make a surprise announcement real quick. Uh, after a long search through most of the state correctional institutions and the judicial system of about 32 different countries, Joining us live on the phone, he is the man that we used to know as Dan Lipner Esquire, attorney at law. Dan Lipner, welcome back. <laughs> yes, it is good to be back. Uh, Putin <laughs> uh, wanted to talk to me as I deal about the election. I said, there's nothing to see here. Is it all good? You know, you, you know what, dude? I, why, why, did I not, why did I not see this coming? <laughs> Dan, okay, Dan Lipner. I know that you've been listening to the show, and I know that you have got so many comments. I'm going to give you now six minutes and ten seconds to vent over the subjects that we have talked about for the past hour, because it's all going to blend together anyway. So, Dan, go ahead. You have six minutes to the top of the hour and go. I mean, Does that mean the rest of us can take, can take a quick break? No, no, no. We're gonna, this is going mean, to lead us into the break. <laughs> I, no, no. I mean, we can the, take the, a break while the, he talks for six minutes. Oh yeah, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> the 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 G19 by itself with Ivanka's Trump standing in for her father at the World Leaders Table. I mean, really? Um, I, I, that is so unfathomable to me, and the fact that it's still that next to everything else, of course, gets knocked off. The, the headlines to Donald Jr. inexplicably hiring a lawyer and then continuing to talk about, i.e. tweet out his email exchange, which seemed pretty damning with the very first email. I actually read it earlier today, 
the the item saying that yeah, this is from pretty high levels in Russia, including the Russian government, and that by itself didn't raise red flags for anyone. The entire email exchange is basically game on. Let's see what they got. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> that uh, any and other let- world. Just coming back to the, the the refrain from much of my liberal brethren, which I which I try to avoid, but the yeah, but Hillary's emails, well, Donald Trump's emails or Donald Trump Jr.'s emails, seem to be a bit more on point <laughs> on that world. But eh, details. Um, All right. Well, Dan, Dan Lipner, much like Dan Lipner, much like the Trump campaign, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to pivot and uh, cut you off because. We're going to keep going on with the G20 subject. I just had to do that. I just love it when that happens. Anyway, I do want to go back wait, to you. Wait, wait, wait. What, one, quick, one quick clarification. You know me. Okay. The reason okay. that Donald Jr. The reason Donald Jr. put it out was because the New York Times had it and said it was going to run it, and he decided that he might as well put it out before the Times um, did it as an expose. That's my understanding. So, no, no, and and and, 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 and just but just just for clarification on that, like I actually, I, Alan's absolutely right. That is that is the order of how things happen. However, once you've hired counsel, that math goes a little bit differently. And if his lawyers had said this is what went out immediately before the New York Times done it, that would have been slightly different than Twitter, uh, a Twitter post. It, it that. Sort of the, the rest of the B team that the the team Trump has hired for its own d- defense strategy on a hundred different fronts. Um, it, this it's not the way you do it. Um, it's that would be strictly PR as opposed to pay, paying attention to there may actually be some legal liability as well. Okay. Well, listen. Let me. We're gonna we're gonna mon- keep monitoring this situation because a, it's not going away anytime soon. And by the way, the first one that says that I look like Goldstone is going to get beat down. I'm just telling you right now. I'm, I've seen the pictures and the comparisons are already coming. So being case, let's break. When we come back. We're going to continue on the discussion about the. I hear you laughing, Alan. I swear I will rain terror down. Uh, <laughs> When we come back, thanks for bringing it to my thanks for bringing it to my attention. I hadn't noticed it before, but I think you're onto something. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion about the G20. Talk about the China North Korea situation from the G20, and uh, the surprisingly the the surprisingly ascension or the surprising ascension of Angela Merkel becoming the new leader of the Western world. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. Got that old feeling when 
you came inside, I got that old feeling. The moment that you danced by, I felt a thrill. And when you caught my eye, my heart stood still. Once again, I seemed to feel that old yearning. And I knew the spark of love was still politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. Radio, Split Screen Edition. I'm broadcasting from Los Angeles, otherwise known as Washington for Pretty People. Joining me from Hollywood for Ugly People, Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, the Honorable Alan Moore, Jonathan Allen, number one New York Times selling author and columnist for Roll Call, and the man that we formerly knew as known as Dan Lipner Esquire, but he is now a Contribute. No, you're still part of the team. We still love you, but we miss you, Dan. I miss you guys, too. And I also miss the fact that Alan Moore is one of those folks who knows you don't refer to yourself as the Honorable, i.e. Amorosa's little fail a couple weeks ago. <laughs> let's go back. For those of you who are just joining us for our second hour, let's go back. We're talking about the president and the G20 summit, kind of our little recap of how we looked at the events there. Uh, let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about uh, the situation with Predator, President Xi Jinping from China 
and the situation in North Korea. For those who did not see, North Korea has launched a two-stage, what the Department of Defense here in the United States is calling an intercontinental ballistic missile, or ICBM. Including our own President Trump, who then addressed the situation with President Xi out in Germany during the G20. John Allen, um, President Trump had a fairly substantial meeting with the President of China. However, he tweeted not long after, hey, you guys did a good job, nice try, we'll take it from here. Is this a situation where Donald Trump is not reading the room correctly with President Xi, or did is, is President Xi playing us and Donald Trump? I think you were saying both of those things were Donald Trump is getting played. Both of those <laughs> options were essentially Donald Trump is getting played. So given the given those uh, those options, um, <laughs> look, I don't see as it. long as the both sides of the coin have Donald Trump's face on it, he's okay with Xi calling heads. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan Allen. I think uh, I think that um, I think that North Korea is useful uh, for China as a leverage point with us. We care more about a nuclear armed North Korea as a bad thing for us than China does as a bad thing for them. It's not really a bad thing for China. It's like China's the only one that's able to negotiate with with the, like the crazy uncle or the crazy brother or whatever, and they're able to use that as a as a negotiating point. I have not seen China lose anything as a result of North Korea doing all this stuff. Uh, and you know, President Trump has so far backed down from some of the things he said he was going to do on the campaign trail to punish China, um, including uh, including declaring them a currency manipulator. Um, you know, the, I think so far, so far, so good for China as, as uh, the Trump administration goes. Yeah, that, that's worth pointing out. The that Trump gave away, whether or not it was true, Trump gave away the currency manipulator argument for nothing. Uh, within a month and a half of his of of assuming the presidency, he. The, unless, of course, the giving away the currency manipulator argument was simply in exchange for getting uh, the president of China to visit Mar-a-Lago. I mean, that could be what, what his actual negotiating point was, but it's not clear what else was, was on the table that was a game for the, for the actual country of the United States. Admiral Ken, you know, we've been concerned about uh, Korea – putting together an ICBM that could be capable of carrying a nuclear warhead, does this launch pose enough of a clear and present danger to the United States that it would force our hand to use a military option and just push President Z to the side and say, thanks for trying? I don't think so. Um, um, I don't think so. Uh, I think it it, uh, it approaches it, certainly. We are less secure uh, this week than we were last week, but I don't think we're we're at the point where uh, we can uh, say let's let's take out let's uh, take uh, let's take the military option. And I remind you of the conversations we've had on this air previously. Um, I've done about five 
exercises uh, defending uh, the the, uh, the Korean Peninsula in Korea. In every one of those, yeah, we won, but South Korea as it exists today no longer exists after that um, after that fight. It's gone, and the ripple effect across the world, and specifically in the United States, economically and culturally would be Donald Trump huge. It'd be big. Uh, so I, I think that uh, Korea will, may, will, will remain, um, you know, what do we do about these crazy people, uh, the crazy person in charge and the ones in his inner circle that are afraid of him. Um, I think we're going to be there for a while. I think the one thing that he could do that would, uh, would tip the scales to where, yeah, we really don't have an option is that he, he reaches out and he touches uh, Alaska, which is well within the, uh, the engagement envelope of that new missile, with any kind of munition, uh, conventional or nuclear. I think at that point, um, you know, the mitts come off and uh, it's on. Alan, Alan Moore, is, is this a situation where any sort of possibility of a nuclearized North Korea damages our credibility in the world community? Well, we, we've tried and, and failed to come to a meaningful agreement with the North Koreans for 25 years. Um, famously, um, the President Clinton um, uh, was very proud of an agreement they struck that turned out to do nothing but, but buy uh, buy time and get us off their backs for a while so they could continue to pursue uh, this endeavor. Uh, I don't think that, that the I'd world... actually challenge that argument. Okay. Oh, the, okay. The, 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 I don't think the world is looking at the United States as being the be-all and end-all of stopping North Korea. I think everyone understands that, that the country with the greatest leverage uh, over North Korea is China. Um, the, North Korea likes to to hate America um, because of the history of uh, the, of our role in in the Korean War. If I were in the neighborhood of North Korea, if I were in China, if I were in Russia, and of course Japan, um, Taiwan, they are all within within range now of the the uh, the various missiles that that uh, North Korea has. Now, what, what, what we don't believe they yet have the capacity to do is to weaponize <coughs> these, uh, these missiles, nor do we know how accurate they can be with the missiles. It's mostly so far been about range and general distance. So um, w- we, we, this is a great example where America needs to figure out how to talk to all of our allies, not just in the region but elsewhere, um, and figure out a coordinated strategy, not talk tough, um, but, but uh, uh, figure out how to, to bring the, uh, the Chinese aboard um, and, and, uh, and, and how to get the Russians aboard and the other Asian countries, we have not stopped doing that. Um, we just, it, it just needs to be obviously an elevated priority, but I don't think that, that there's any credibility to saying, oh, this is all America's fault. Go ahead, Dan Lipner, you wanted to counteract that? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it was just it was just a small point, and now the issue is now well behind. It's probably not worth going into. But for a brief period of time during the Clinton administration, they actually did have active monitoring of the of the North Korean nuclear facilities. And then when Bush 43 entered office, when the North Koreans were seeking bilateral conversations between us and the United States, between us and North Korea, the Bush administration insisted on being multilateral conversations, and those talks eventually broke down. And as a result, arguably, as a result, the North Koreans then removed the act of monitoring from their well, nuclear Well, so, so, so there's a, there's there, there, a there problem. There is an engagement question there. There's a problem Ad, with go that. Go ahead, Admiral Ken. So the uh, the one component that's missing in in, uh, in Dan's uh, Dan's discussion is the fact that we had a change in leadership between those two American administrations. The the father uh, Kim Jong Il died. Kim Jong Un came into power, and in the process of consolidating and getting himself in place, he also was accused, I, we believe, by his inner circle of, uh, of 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 being weak by not taking the Americans on one on one. So there was the component there too, where we might have had a had a regime change or administration change here. They also had one there, and that factored into it as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the father was one who who pulled out the the, the monitoring, and then the fa- the son has just taken it even right. further. But it's it's almost pointless now because the history is so far behind us. We now have a different, well well nuclear armed North Korea. And that is developing delivery capacity, which is now a different issue. Uh, and I do want to incapable of actually engaging allies. I, I do want to add one 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 small uh, caveat. Uh, yeah, they've got a missile, and yeah, they are probably <laughs> looking at trying to weaponize that that missile with with the nuclear munition. Um, and this is not classified. You can go out on, online and take a look at it. Uh, we've had a number of of, uh, of uh, tests where uh, uh, both Aegis Ashore as well as Aegis at Sea now has the capability to give the U.S. a nuclear shield. I'm not so much worried about one or two uh, of these guys, one or two of these, these uh, missiles getting shot at the U.S. I, I worry more when they get ready to start mass producing. That's when we really have to start paying attention to what's going on uh, on the Korean Peninsula. All right. Let me, let's get back to let's get back to this G20 question here because one of the things I did want to bring up, uh, and Jonathan Allen, I'll go to you on this. It appears that Angela Merkel has kind of become the co-pilot of the Western world, kind of displacing Donald Trump as the head of the Western world power. Uh, is she the big winner coming out of the G20 summit? And are we going to see her take a more pivotal role in global politics? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was unspoken about uh, about Donald Trump's campaign promises and some of the things he's been delivering on was the idea that if we uh, step back a little bit from the world, somebody else will step forward into that vacuum, and she's certainly – uh, not only attempted to do that, I think she's actually done it pretty effectively. Um, you know, I, I think all things considered, and despite the fact Germany uh, was essentially responsible for, for two world wars, uh, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for, for Germany to be taking that leading role if the United States is, is going to move back a little bit. Uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think their, their interests, uh, don't align perfectly with ours, but they're they're not out of alignment with ours, and that's why we've been able to have successful 
uh, alliances with them for a long time. So, uh, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's, uh, but she definitely has stepped into that role. The, the new, along with Donald Trump uh, at this G20, the new rookie at this, at this uh, gathering was French president Emmanuel Macron. Uh, Alan Moore, I'll go to you on this. Is, is, Macron, somebody that we should keep an eye on that could kind of bring France back into a lead role in the geopolitical scene? Well, he's still a a huge question mark and kind of a historical anomaly in, in, in terms of his election. He is, his focus is necessarily on, on developing and creating and, and establishing, uh, uh, a meaningful political base, um, a sustainable political base in France. Um, you know, he's he's the surprise uh, president of a major uh, European nation. We all of those people are are important to the U.S., um, uh, but none of them have the uh, have the international presence. Um, uh, even Angela Merkel and, and the Germans, um, they, they have a they have a powerful economy, um, but in terms of uh, of a, uh, a defense presence, I don't. I, do they even have a navy? Um, no offense intended to them, but um, there, and to answer your question, they and to answer your question, they do. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean. They the defense uh, partly because of the aftermath of World War II, where they were limited in in, in what they can do, uh, and relied um, uh, as the all of Europe r- relied on a, a major U.S. military presence in Germany, um, partly uh, to counter the then Soviet Union, but also to to make it possible for Germany to. Uh, be much more restrained in its own uh, domestic investment. It was smart enough to take advantage of the the fact that it was getting a, a protective net uh, cover from from others to to f- focus uh, on its own economy. Um, uh, France is a potential major like player. Macron, you know, Macron has. Macron has potential, um, but he, uh, he's, he's, he's got a long way to go. The, the fact of the matter is that even though the, the President Trump has, uh, has become a, a huge question mark, something from time to time a laughing stock, other times a source of, of, of fear, what's, what's he going to do next? Um, uh, it, it's hard in the short term to replace uh, much of what the United States uh, represents in the world, simply because no one else has anywhere near the capacity to to replace it. So, John Allen, with the ascension of Angela Merkel, with uh, Theresa May still trying to fix Brexit, is the ascension of Angela Merkel as a world leader for the Western Hemisphere a good thing for the world and a good thing for America? Well, it's better than than nobody stepping up. Um, <laughs> but 
no, I mean, uh, like, look, I think it, the United States is best off as as the leader of the free world, and and to be, and, and look, I still think we we are, and in a time of crisis, states would step up and be a leader. But I do, but I, you know, yeah, it, it's better again, better than nobody, but uh, but it's better for the U.S. when it's the U.S. Dan Lipner, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, the, there was an Australian reporter that did a piece on the uh, the U.S. stepping back from the G20 and how much the rest of the world is going to miss the United States as being a leader, uh, not just for our military strength, but an actual the the Reagan line being the city on the hill for, with greater aspirations and trying to lead the world along that path. And while Germany in the person of Angela Merkel has absolutely shouldered the burden, they simply don't have the capacity to do it on a global scale the way the United States does. So this is is not a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, even with the political differences I had with the George W. administration or uh, the father or Reagan, the not beyond just the sense of pride with the United States being being a leader in the world. I think there is a net good with the United States being a world leader. And us stepping back from that, there there, there is a tragedy we are not necessarily seeing completely today, but I fear we will actually see it play out in years to come. Well, but remember, we, President Obama, um, in, in the eyes of many, um, was also not the most uh, successful um, leader uh, of the free world. Uh, arguably, U.S. stature fell over the last eight years um, as he failed to deliver on some of the red lines that he was drawing. I mean, the, there, there's a realignment going on. It's not just about President Trump. Uh, it's about U.S. recognizing some of its limits, U.S. political system um, looking, uh, to, tending to look more domestic, more, more towards uh, domestic leadership, and and having, if you will, a little bit less interest in uh, in in being the the world leader. So it's not new, and uh, that's not a defense of the of, of President Trump. Um, but but it's just a reminder to have some perspective. No, no, and, and, and that is absolutely that is absolutely true. But the biggest difference is even knowing the limits of American power, and I'm saying the our military or economic force. Rhetorically, no American president has ever stepped back the way. Agreed, John. A- John Allen, is that going to is that going to be of concern to folks on the Hill? Absolutely. It's definitely of concern. I, I think, you know, Republicans on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee have uh, been very careful to, to try not to completely undermine the president, but it's pretty clear that they uh, have not been impressed with his foreign policy or with, uh, you know, the United States uh, taking on a lesser role. Um, and, you know, look, he's right uh, in that a lot, of, a lot of voters would like to see the United States do less abroad. Um, after after two wars, uh, really a, sort of a, an extension of one or a third one with ISIS and uh, what's going on in Syria, um, you know the the United States has been 
and you know what happened in Libya. The United States has been extremely aggressive in both the military and diplomatic phases of global leadership, and I think that the public is uh, understandably a little bit wary of that and weary of it. Um, and so I think Donald Trump has a point there, uh, and yet at the same time, uh, there's there's probably some midpoint between uh, you know starting new wars and um, and withdrawing you know as as completely as possibly possible as quickly as possible. Uh, bottom line here, because we're going to go to a quick break, and, but bottom line here, Jonathan Allen, is there going to be pressure from the Hill on Donald Trump uh, to really? clean up our, our, our view in the eyes of foreign leaders? Um, I, I don't think he would listen to pressure from the Hill. I'm not sure he, he really gives a hoot what people on Capitol Hill think. Wow. Okay. Very good. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we have to touch on uh, developing news coming out of Washington uh, but it all surround, it all evolves around the situation regarding the GOP healthcare woes. Is there a possible solution on the horizon, or are we just retreading a bad tire? This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how Backroom Politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be.
one more time. One more once. politics and we're back live here on blog talk radio this is the best political talk show you've never heard of it is backroom politics split screen edition i am your host moderator justin russell broadcasting from the beautiful west coast of los angeles california also on the line with us admiral ken Carradine, alan moore and surprisingly dan lipner we've got the band back together that being said, let's talk about something that is kind of being pushed to the side a little bit by the latest revelations and the latest crisis in the White House regarding the Donald Trump Jr. emails. But we should really talk about, and that is the increasingly frustrating problem of the health care bill for the Republican Party. In case you haven't heard today, the developing story out of Washington, D.C., Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid has, in fact, um, uh, turned... Not the Harry Reid. I'm sorry, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, I'm sorry. Hey, Mitch McConnell. Good grief. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has, in fact, pushed back the August recess and is trying to get a new GOP bill out by the end of the week. At the same time, Senator Lindsey Graham is putting together his own health care plan that is being worked on by several in the party that are backing Lindsey's approach. That being said, at no point has anybody brought in the Democrats and Chuck Schumer. So, Here's the question I pose to everybody, and Alan, as a longtime Senate insider and Senate staffer, I'll start with you. With the first go-around a failure, and with all indications are nothing better is in the works, is this, is this the right time for uh, the GOP and the Senate to reach out to the Democrats and Chuck Schumer? Not yet, but it's getting close. This thing has to completely collapse and crater. Now, in my judgment, that's all over but the shouting. Uh, I do not see a path to an all-Republican solution, but 
the Republicans need to basically come to that agreement too. They're still trying to pressure the 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 half a dozen or so Republicans who are resisting pretty strongly. Um, uh, there's a couple on the on the on the right side of the spectrum, like Rand Paul, and and a couple on the left side of the of the spectrum. Um, uh, Susan Collins and 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 uh, Shelley Moore Caputo. There's a few that are kind of in the middle that say you got to fix the Medicaid piece. Um, and and Ted Cruz is in. He's, he's got an idea. There's a bunch of ideas, but but all of those ideas cause this the, the the movement to flip right and bother some fo- folks in the middle, or to flip towards the middle and bother some folks on the right. I don't see how they get 50 votes. And that's that's the requirement under the the intent of trying to use the so-called budget reconciliation process to make a bunch of changes. Um, the reconciliation process has certain rules, so you can't just do anything you want. You can't you can't start from scratch. I don't see them getting there though. So uh, I think that they have to probably either have a vote or. Simply, uh, Mitch McConnell will say, "We've tried everything; it's not going to work. Um, we're, we do need to do some things to make the the current health system in America function. And our our new endeavor is going to be to try to find a working group of willing Democrats. I don't see Chuck Schumer being part of that. I think that he he's enjoying watching the the Republicans struggle too much." But I think there are a lot of, you know, some number of Democrats who say we can't live with the status quo. Um, it's not sustainable for the country. Therefore, let's try to figure out a different path. Adam Ken is 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 the majority leader Mitch McConnell in a lose lose situation here. Is there any way he comes out looking good in all this? Um, I don't believe so. Um, even if he gets something done, um, there's no guarantee that, that the White House isn't going to cut the legs underneath him. Uh, if he doesn't get something done, the White House is definitely going to cut the legs out from underneath him. Um, I think that uh, the fact that um, they, they, tan it, they, they gave him tantamount, uh, the same thing as a, as a cat uh, in a bag and, and shook it up and said, hey, it now. Uh, I think did not bode well for him from the very beginning. So I, I think it's a I think it's a losing situation for him all all the way around. D- Dan Lipner, at what point do we see the Democrats starting to reach out to the Republicans saying, "Hey, you know what? We've all got skin in this game. Let us help you." Is that even possible? And do we go with the list that Alan gave us, the likes of a uh, a Joe Manchin of West Virginia, for example? Well, I mean. Claire McCaskill in a hearing a few weeks ago in a very exasperated tone was asking uh, her, her, her committee chairman, Orrin Hatch, whether or not there is going to be an opportunity to hear any portion of the health care bill and offer amendments. Because if you'll also note, through the entire House process and thus far through the Senate process, there has been none of that public hearing thing that Congress is supposed to function under, which I believe is supposed to be part of regular order. Uh, Alan, you can fact check me on that. Um, that to actually allow things to happen. That wasn't, Her- that wasn't Harry Reid's. That, that wasn't Harry Reid's regular order. 
<laughs> and Harry Reid's no longer in office. And as I point out That's to correct. people who as as I point to people who point out to people who keep saying, "Well, Hillary Clinton did this, and she ain't president." This is the hand right. we're dealt at the moment, and these are the people at the table. Bare right. minimum, this laws are not supposed are not supposed to be written. In the dark. This is a democracy. We're not, we're not these authoritarian <laughs> countries, and we like to ha- kind of have some idea what's being done. So, Dan, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, say what you to, will to about say what, say what you will about Obamacare. There are plenty of hearings about it. Um, it may have been all lopsided votes, and I'll, 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 I will accept that point. But we weren't surprised by the entire process when it was dropped out. <laughs> Out of, out of the sky, out of nowhere. Damn. Oh, damn. Damn, I'll just I'll remind you of your good friend Nancy Pelosi's comment that we need to pass this law in order to find out what's in it. Um, and that was... Uh, are, are, are you that, saying there were no committee here? Are, are you saying there were none? That was, I'm just saying... There was, that, a very, there was a very public meeting of... No, President I didn't say Obama that. All I'm saying with, is... With, all with I'm Republican, saying Republican is... Republican senators uh, discussed... Hey, Dan, at which point when I pass, point out, when, the when they pass a, very constructive criticism. Okay, I'm going to put. I'm going to start. Wait, wait. I'm going to start putting people pass, on. I'm going to start putting people on mute if we talk over each other. Alan Moore, when, go ahead. <laughs> hey, Dan, welcome back. So when they when they pass this law, and you're outraged, fine. This law ain't getting passed, and 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 that's his whole problem. It's going to be it'll it'll be visible at some point, and I don't see it getting the votes. Um, and and it's not regular order is not going to make that happen. What's going to make it happen is when there's a recognition that the Republicans have tried for months and months to do an all Republican solution and can't do it. Then they're going no, no, to, hey, to, the to turn to then to turn to regular order I, I, the process. I, I, all right, hold on, hold on. Dan it's, it's not because it's in the dark. It's Dan well Lipner. understood what the problems Alan, are. Alan, Alan, let Dan Lipner respond. Dan, go ahead. No, a, 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 a meeting group versus being held in committee that has actual full coverage of the process, of amendments being offered, voted up and voted down, like that is part of the process. Thus far, this has had none of that. And I'm sorry, well, my turn. Yes, Ken, go ahead. <laughs> There's just way too much of the pot calling the kettle black here. The fact of the matter is the Republicans are not going to be able to pull this off as an all-Republican deal, nor should they be able to. It's not an all-Republican or all-Democratic country. Uh, the Democrats screwed the pooch way back when they passed the thing the first time by not, letting, by not uh, trying to make it a bipartisan approach, and we're trying to do the same thing. You would think that we'd be smarter than this, but I'm quite uh, disappointed that we are. In- I, will, well, okay. I, I will say, uh, yeah, let me say one thing. I'm not defending the lack, the lack of hearings. I don't, I, I, but I don't think ignorance of content is going to be the issue. But here, here's the point. Because this would happen in reconciliation, there will be scores of amendments on the Senate floor. It'll be a voterama if this if it ever got this far, which I don't expect. Um, and so and by the way, there will the record, be ample opportunity. Record, Alan Moore, ample, anytime you have anytime you have a voterama, 
that always produces a world-class bill that satisfies everybody. I mean, come on. If this thing goes to vote and they start putting amendments on, this is going to go to crap. Well, if they won't. What they'll do is they'll is they'll kill all the amendments. All I'm saying when he says no chance for amendment, I'm just reminding him that in the reconciliation process, which is the one being used here, there is on the Senate floor the ultimate opportunity for virtually unlimited numbers of amendments. Doesn't mean they get passed. Doesn't mean they get considered. But when he said no votes, I just was correcting his inaccurate statement. Well, no, no. Well, no, I mean, I mean, thus far, it, it, it's important to note, thus far there have been none, and I seem to recall a little nugget that uh, Mitch McConnell had scheduled for any amendments on the floor for debate to last no more than a minute per amendment, which obviously seems very deliberative to me. That's oh. pretty much been the standard for the, for the last couple of decades, but uh, you can pick on Mitch <laughs> if you want. That being, the, that being the case, here's the bigger question is, is, is the problem, in fact, that the, the GOP has lost touch with what America really thinks about Obamacare? And, or is the, is the Congress really trying to come together as one party to back up their president in a promise he made in the campaign trail? Dan Lipner, I'll go with you first. Well... For starters, none of these bills have anything to do with what Trump promised on the campaign trail. Uh, the cheaper, better, more beautiful than Obamacare, uh, thus far, uh, the, the lipstick on the pig that is the current Republican plans ain't looking nothing like the beautiful thing that Trump was talking about. Um, and even a couple unsourced Republican senators after meeting with the president uh, did suggest that the president had absolutely no idea what, what was in either the House nor the Senate but bill. Dan, but, Dan, um, let me, let me just, Dan, let me just jump in here real quick, because one of the things that has to be pointed out is the, is the, is the real on-the-ground situation with Obamacare. You have numerous counties in various states that have either only one provider, two providers, and in some cases, there are counties that are going to have zero providers in the coming months. How, how, does the, how do the Democrats defend that aspect and say this is the better solution for America as a whole? Well, if, if, if you want the, the ultimate cold political calculus, and this is the horror of the Republican plans, is Democrats don't live where those places, uh, where the insurance companies are pulling out. That's the irony of all of this. Um, the fact of the matter is, that's part of the reason that the, Obamacare is far from perfect, and I'm never going to suggest it, it was or is perfect. However, it was a starting point. And the fact that insurance companies can carve up the places that are more profitable versus the places Dan, that aren't. So subdividing a, a rural state where people might be sicker with a smaller pool um, and therefore driving up costs and driving down pro- profitability. So if there is one plan, it's outrageously expensive, therefore driving more people out of the insurance yeah, but, market and making it more in- expensive for the, Dan, for the handful place- of people that can still afford it. Yeah, but Dan, this place has to be done on a larger scale. Dan, this is, but this is exactly the point I'm I'm trying to get you to understand is this plays right into 
the Republican playbook. They're saying, hey, look, you're not you're not taking away or the Obamacare providers aren't withdrawing from places like L.A., New York City, Boston. They're pulling out of places like Western Kentucky, the Appalachians, uh, you know, the, the blue you know the blue the foothills of the blue mountains all of uh, all of these are coming up and they're saying hey we're republicans the democratic version screwed us we've got nothing to lose we'll back the republicans don't democrats see no, but that, that but, as being but, but part of the issue but that's 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 the ultimate irony of the current republican plan that but do you really think that, that you li- no, no, let me let me finish this point those same places that you listed off are also places that receive a very high, have a very high percentage of their population receiving benefits from both Medicare and Medicaid. That that is their safety net. That reductions in in one or both of those programs hurts those very people even more. So there is no shoring up of the plan. It is simply speeding up the reduction of any health service payments. I don't know what charity providers might come in to, to supplement, but I'm, I'm guessing not much. So that's the, the horror and the irony of all of this, that to really fix this, you actually need the markets to be larger, not smaller. So when you, as long as you can subdivide and carve people out, that's what businesses do. They want to go to where places are most profitable. If you could only insure houses that won't burn down as opposed to ones that will, which ones do you think you're going to do? I mean, that's the basics of how insurance works. So unless you have a more macro sense of the overall nation or at least an overall state, uh, that, that, that those marketplaces will, will be determined, just determined, you're going to have those things happen. That needs to be fixed. And the buying across state lines, that'll be interesting. However, if all the Obamacare protections that suggest that, you know, there's a certain minimum standard for what insurance needs to cover, the buying insurance across state lines are just going to lead to a flood of everyone being insured with with whatever the lowest cost insurance provision is out there in whatever state that is that could potentially cover nothing. So some of those people that lost insurance for Obamacare actually had insurance that covered very little. They were paying their premiums of you know, fifty to hundred dollars a month to have a fifty to hundred thousand dollar cap on their lifetime insurance for any kind of medical procedure that if something severe happened, there's absolutely no way in hell that cap was going to cover it. So those rules that are getting undone actually matter as well. It's not easy and, stuff, and suggesting and, it is is, is 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 doing a disservice to everyone involved, especially those who are the lo- most in need. Alan Moore, are the Republicans their own worst enemy in the Senate on this issue? No, they, they were they were caught in this trap that all Republicans were in ever since Obamacare was was uh, passed through both houses without any Republican support whatsoever. So you, you, you had a very aggressive plan in a number of ways financed by an odd set of taxes that were just crammed down uh, America's throat and, and, some mandates that weren't very effective, a whole 
set of minimum benefit requirements that were <laughs> generous on their face, but nobody really wanted to pay for them. So we had a whole host of votes and talk for the last eight years about how we needed to, first of all, it was we need to repeal it, repeal it, repeal it, then repeal and replace. And the, that, was a, that was a major theme in this entire uh, election cycle. And the Republicans had, had really a duty, if you will, to try to, to, try to make that happen. Um, and they couldn't make it happen. They haven't been able to make it happen. And they said, well, maybe we should just repeal first and then fix it. Well, that, that, that idea was discredited before. It's come back. It's still hard to see how that could work. And I don't think there's going to be, you know, there's just not sentiment there for that. You have to play this out. You have to try to repeal and replace. They can't agree on what to replace it with because Republican states are all over the lot on what their particular needs are. Some are mostly rural. Some uh, uh, have have large population centers. Some expanded Medicaid. Some did not. And this is part of the challenge for Republicans who want to work as Republicans, who want to to not get afoul a, a of the president and the 36 percent of America who thinks that he still walks on water. You don't, you don't want to offend that voting group, so you have to go through the process. You have to try. I don't think it will succeed. I think it will fail. There are still a whole host of problems crying out for resolution, and my hope is that once this, this repeal and replace effort collapses because they can't come up with a replacement that, that works for all but two Senate Republicans, um, uh, that uh, you know, it, it it's where we are. It's how it's we we sort of got into this mess, and now we're struggling and scrambling to try to figure a way out. Um, and uh, and there are political costs associated. All the CBO estimates uh, that 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 talk about the the, the people who will. Uh, or at least how it's characterized, will lose their insurance or be tossed off their insurance, notwithstanding the fact that some people will simply choose not to insure. The numbers are so staggering, and the taxes and redistribution of the repealed taxes are so heavily skewed to the upper end that it is polit- politically uh, a non-starter. It's not, it's, Ad- it's not tenable. Admiral Ken, when you, when, you see, when you see the current status of the, the, the plan – as was taken back by Mitch McConnell and going back to the drawing board, your home state, Texas, has a weird sort of dichotomy in all this, whereas you look at places like Houston, Dallas, large urban areas where they are, uh, there are multiple providers, and then you go out into the central part and into the panhandle of the state where there are, in some instances, only one provider in Obamacare uh, provisions, how does Texas come together and, and not, or why does the Texas delegation not come together and say, hey, guys, you're screwing all of our people. Fix this. Is there, is there a leader from a big state like Texas that could be the driver to get this done? I think if you, if you, if you go to Texas, you'll see that while the state is, uh, politically conservative, um, I think socially they're not as far right as the um, 
as their voting record tends. Uh, you get guys like Ted Cruz and John Cornyn from the state um, that are part of the uh, uh, part of the, the 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 Republican effort. Interestingly, uh, Cornyn is in, on the other uh, repeal and replace uh, bandwagon. Cruz, on the other hand, is you know is is going back to his old constitutional roots and saying no, you, we shouldn't be. Uh, replacing any of this because it's not authorized by the Constitution. So, uh, I, at, the, at the local level, at the local level, uh, uh, Texas, uh, while it doesn't have uh, income tax, uh, has property taxes that uh, that they tend to lean on to fund a lot of the social programs that they need that that are not funded by the federal government. So, so that being said, I think there are two things going on here. Uh, one, you know, when Obamacare got passed, um, I think Democrats were right that this was a big moment in America because, one, um, they were, in their minds, providing people who didn't have health care uh, with it. But more importantly, we were basically giving out um, – uh, and I don't like the word give, but we were providing uh, an entitlement program, the which we've only seen since um, Social Security, and we, we – we, it was it was never going to go away. It's not going to go away, and I think I was somewhat dumbfounded by. Um, I was one of the first times I was dumbfounded was when the president said, "Who knew this was so complicated?" Well, anybody that took a real hard look at it knew that it was complicated, and right. I think and I think that anybody that uh, that thinks that um, they're going to make this thing go in any way, shape, or form is is smoking something that I hope is cheap and and, uh, and not detectable in a in a drug screen. It's not going away, and I think the best thing that they can possibly do is try and figure out a way to, to, to shore up some of the issues that it's got. I think what's also hurting the Republicans is the fact that most of the people that are being hurt by the plan as it exists right now are states are from states that Trump won. And, and, it, yeah. and it, begs, it begs the question you know, that these people understand that Obamacare and ACA were the same thing. I don't think that they did. Around the horn, does Mitch McConnell and the GOP get a GOP-backed health care solution done before the August recess? Alan Moore? Nope. Dan Lipner? Absolutely not. Admiral Ken? Nope. Oh, we're in agreement. That is the right answer. Let me, let me, no say, one, let me say one other thing. Go ahead, um, Alan Moore. When this fails, which I just can't see it not failing, uh, and they start having to try to figure out what what urgently needs to be done, what can be done on a bipartisan basis, what I would really like to see, this may be in the wishful thinking realm, is some conversation about what it what what it means for healthcare in America to be a right or a privilege, what kind of quality and breadth of offering do we want to make uh, widely available? How do we want to pay for it? Who should pay for it? And how can we control the spending over time? It's now 17% of the U.S. economy. The, the, the government share is about 12% government at all levels and, and growing. And government share simply is another way to say people share. Is there any limit? Or is anybody willing to think about how to 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 
put any kind of controls at all on the growth of Medicaid spending, Medicare spending, Obamacare subsidies, uh, the tax expenditures for health care, these kind of fundamental questions that aren't part of any of the of the debate now it's all about how many people are going to lose care what the what the 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 tax breaks for rich people are going to be and this is a a bigger conversation than that worthy of that and i would like to hope that maybe some of that conversation can be part of a bipartisan conversation when the republican effort fails i I mean i agree with that i agree with that from your Alan, from your mouth to God's ears, the only problem is what you just described in today's political element is basically the equivalent of a musical pink unicorn. No, you know there are people on both sides who really do struggle with this stuff. Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania is 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 trying in a very modest way over the next seven or eight years to just put some some restraints on how fast Medicaid can grow and he's being castigated as somebody who wants to slash Medicaid. I mean, but it's, it's not that no one is thinking about it. It's just that we need to have a bipartisan conversation before we can start thinking about it. So just, I wish I was, I wish that's a fair point. The, because part of that includes the, and, and this is coming from a Democrat that when you create these things that are right, there are also folks that are going to game the system. And if you've ever watched TV at late at night, you've all seen uh, either the Medicare or Medicaid will pay for insert whatever the medical device is, whether or not it's a scooter or something to help you out of your bathtub or something ridiculous. It's the, not to say those people don't need those things, but the creating the market there also, and this is to Senator Rand Paul's point, that occasionally it, it does screw up the market because, the government has just said they're going to pay, so there's no more dis- there's no more incentive to build a better, better and or cheaper mousetrap. So th- there is that gamesmanship, and how do you control for cost? Not just yep. saying that you want to make sure to provide stuff for folks. And right. most people would like to actually, and I'm comfortable well, saying most. There are a handful of ideologues that want to punish people for not being responsible. I don't think that's the average American by a, by a long shot. Yeah. Um, All right. But Dan, how, how are, do you make sure to deal with that? It's tough. Well, Dan, we're coming to the end of another show. Uh, we've only got two minutes left, but I do want to take this opportunity and say uh, happy birthday to Timmy Ann Russell, my mom, uh, who listens from time to time. Uh, my mom is born on the Slurpee Day which is how I can remember it, which reminds me i got to send her a card and call her. But, again, happy birthday, Mom. And with that, on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore, our long-lost legal friend, Dan Lipner, special thanks to our good friend, number one, best, number one New York Times bestselling author, Jonathan Allen. We will be back next week live on Blog Talk Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash backroompolitics. You can also find us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. And you can email me your concerns, your fan mail, and any other items of enjoyment to justin at backroompolitics.org. Other than that, have a great week, America. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.
Politics.